A reading from Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. The word of the Lord. The New Testament lesson is from the book of Second Peter. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we were made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his mystery. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory, Glory to you, Lord Christ. I have manifest your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, 
I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy, my joy, in themselves. And I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may be also sanctified in the truth. The Gospel of the Lord. There we go. When Church of the Cross was um, about two and a half uh, years old, uh, we um, started uh, to discuss the possibility of moving from uh, one uh, morning service uh, to two uh, morning services. Um, in one sense, that was an exciting um, discussion uh, to have. It was getting fuller and fuller in the sanctuary, which maybe this morning you're thinking, that would be nice. It's chilly in this sanctuary. I wish it was uh, packed full. Um, uh, but it was becoming an issue where it was getting full enough that we were thinking, ooh, we may have to make a change eventually. So again, there was some excitement in that. But as you would probably imagine, there was also a lot of hesitation about making that move. Um, there was the need to recruit uh, more volunteers and figure out the logistics of doing two services and the timing around that. But perhaps most significantly for us as a pretty young church at that point was just sort of thinking through, um, what does this mean for us where we've had the experience of all of us being together on Sunday morning, of seeing um, everybody that we go to church with on Sunday morning, and eventually making the move to not seeing everybody on, on Sunday morning, to having two different services. And so again, that began um, a number of discussions, which we had over a, a long period of time. But as we were having those first uh, discussions among leaders, among staff people, among vestry members, um, questions would come up around, well, what would this mean for our children's ministry? How do we make sure we in no way compromise our commitment um, to children? What does this mean for hospitality and for being a welcoming church and people where church can feel real freedom to, to come in and to um, be, be included in the body? What does it mean for our community, how we connect with one another? And as we we're having these discussions and asking these different questions, I suddenly realized at one point, hey, without explicitly meaning to do so, right, without actually saying, let's sit down and look at our values, that's what we were discussing, we're actually considering how do the values of Church of the Cross, and we had um, written out values that we had come up with when the church was first forming that our launch team had worked on together, we were actually considering those values. Again, values around children, values around connection, values around hospitality. Those were what was guiding that discussion. And again, in the midst of a discussion that was actually pretty stressful at times, I was so happy because our desire when the Church of the Cross began and the as we set down those values, was that they wouldn't just be words on a paper. We'd say that, right? We don't want to just write these down and put them in a desk drawer and never see them again, right? We, our hope is that these values capture truly who we are as a church, what we value. And one thing that we know about values is when you really value something, 
That affects your decisions. It affects your priorities. As we were thinking through a decision, we found out these things are affecting our decision. Or if I say I value time with my children, and then you look at my calendar and you realize I don't spend any time with my children, you'd probably say, is that really a value of yours? Like you say it's a value, but I actually don't see it in how you prioritize your time. I don't see it in how you make decisions. And so we're doing a series right now um, on the mission and values of Church of the Cross. The last three weeks, we looked at our mission statement. For the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at our values. And there's a reason that we're looking at these together. There's a reason that we have them together on our, in our bulletin. If you look at the, the inside of the front page, you see them listed there. If you go to our website, you see them lifted, listed there. Right? Because we believe we can't fulfill our mission, the mission that we believe God has called us to as a church, unless we're honoring our values, right? Key to fulfilling our mission is living out these values, right? And if we're compromising on the values, then we're not going to fulfill this mission, right? One image I like of is we think about sort of the church fulfilling its mission as an arrow going towards a target, right? That we want to fulfill, right? We have a vision that we believe God has called us to, and this mission is helping us get to where God has called us to be as a church. Then the feathers on that arrow are the values, right? Now you have to think of an arrow with eight feathers on it, and that's kind of hard to do. So don't go too far with the analogy, but that perhaps helps you think through what do values mean? Why, why are those important? And a couple more words about uh, the values. Again, Church Across began, we had seven uh, values. Um, a few years ago, uh, as a church body among the leadership of the church, we decided to sort of revisit those and say and ask the question, does it still capture who we are? And by and large, we said, yes, absolutely, they do. Some of the wording um, we adjusted a little bit, some of the language around the values, we felt like captured well how we kind of speak about those values and how we live them out. And then we ended up adding one. So we have eight values now, which is kind of a long list of values. It's sort of like an amplifier that goes up to 11 a little bit um, there on the, the values. Um, Joel just gave me a, a hooray for a spinal tap reference. Uh, it's always good in a sermon, right? But again, we, couldn't, we just couldn't let go of any of them. We were like, we, we'll do eight, right? Um, uh, because uh, we love every one of these. Um, so uh, today we're speaking about that value. Oh, wait, one other thing I meant to say is as we think through these values. These, again, we believe represent us as a church community, but it's also our belief that this uh, represents what we seek to value, um, hopefully, as individuals, right? And so as we think through these values, I want to be thinking through them. How do we live this out as a community? How do we live this out as a church? What does that mean on Sunday morning as we gather, as we gather in different groups and different, um, you know, forms over the week? But also, what does it mean to each one of us? And I hope that's a question that you can be considering in this series, whether you're part of Church of the Cross or maybe just a guest um, today, I would hope and are certainly our goal that these values represent what it means to live as a Christian, as a disciple, that these are things that we can value. They're based in the scriptures and so therefore should be embraced um, by all of us. Okay, so now our value, the devo devotion to scripture, the first value that we'll be speaking about. If you look on page nine of our bulletin there with the sermon title, um, you see um, we included Acts 2.42, um, a well-known verse that uh, gives a description of what was the church doing right? after Pentecost, right? As the disciples gathered together on Pentecost and the Spirit of God was poured out, right? And many, many people came to faith in Christ and were baptized. What happened next? And this is what we were told was happening in the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Right? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Right? That's perhaps a familiar you know, verse uh, for us. 
But if you think about that, that's really striking. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Imagine that, you know, I said to you, I am devoted to the teachings of C.S. Lewis. In one sense, you would be like, okay, yeah, C.S. Lewis, he's great. You know, everyone loves C.S. Lewis. But maybe you'd say, like, devoted? Like, that feels a little strong. Like, maybe you're just a little too into C.S. Lewis. Right? Maybe you'd worry a little bit, are you idolizing him? Right? I mean, you know, yes, he's an amazing writer and thinker, right? But, you know, don't make an idol of someone. And so maybe when we read this, we think, man, is that too much about the apostles? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But what happens, of course, when we read the apostles' teaching is realize the apostles' teaching is very clear. Do not worship the apostles. Your devotion shouldn't ultimately be to them, right? Honor them as leaders, but your devotion to be, should be to Christ. Because right? what we see in the apostles' teaching is how faulty, right? How sinful the apostles actually were. I mean, what's the sort of main way that Jesus addresses the apostles? Oh, you of little faith, right? I mean, that's what he calls them again and again. And the apostles are the ones teaching that. They're teaching Jesus called us, oh, us of little faith because we had so little faith. We needed a savior. We need a savior. We need Jesus. And so the apostles' teaching was um, a, a center of devotion. There was devotion to their teaching because their teaching points to Jesus, right? Their teaching is about Jesus, who we are devoted to. Their teaching is about salvation. And their teaching opened their eyes, right, to not only, again, all that Jesus had done, but all the ways that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, of the Hebrew scriptures, the way that Jesus is the yes and amen to all of God's promises. So that's where the devotion comes from. As we think about this value today, in particular, I want to think about our devotion to scripture as a guide. Right? There's so many ways the scripture serves us. There's so many ways that we benefit from scripture and that we are devoted to it. But in particular, I want to consider how scripture guides us. And again, we may say, well, like a guide is not usually like a, you know, we don't usually devote it to a guide. Like I'm not devoted to Google Maps. Um, but when we think about people who, you know, are important in our lives, right? Spouses, right? Friends, right? Siblings, parents, right? probably there's an aspect of our relationship that they give us guidance, right? Maybe that's processing with us. Maybe it's wisdom that we seek out. Maybe again, it's helping us think through how do we live in a life in accordance with the scriptures, but guidance is a huge thing that we receive from others. That's a huge part of our relationship to, to the scriptures. They guide us specifically, right? They guide us into the truth. Hey, look at our, our second um, Peter I'm reading and how he speaks to how the scriptures, the word of God, guides us into the truth. Um, this uh, passage uh, follows uh, the book of Second Peter begins with Peter encouraging them, uh, basically encouraging us, encouraging the Christians he was writing to and us who receive his words today to live lives worthy of our callings, basically to live a life honoring all that Christ has done for us. And so that first passage speaks about virtue, like living a virtuous life in honor of Christ and with the help of Christ. And then he follows that call to virtue by this, with this passage and saying, look, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I want you to understand, right, as I'm calling you to live a life, right, of sacrifice, a life in Christ that remember, right, we didn't make this up. These stories we tell you about Jesus, we were eyewitnesses. We heard the voice of God, the voice of the Father saying about Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. This is true we've told you. We saw him. We touched him, right? We knew him personally, right? Now, we can say, 
you know, cleverly devised myths, right? Great stories actually can point to the truth. I mentioned C.S. Lewis, right? The Narnia stories, right? And, and stories written by Christians and non-Christians alike can reveal the truth to us. So I don't believe, right, Peter is denying, right, the, the power of a story, the power even of a, a, a myth. But what he's saying is, look, what we told you, right, the power of it is that it really happened. Right? If, if it didn't really happen, if I just said, look, here's a beautiful story right, of God becoming flesh and living among us and, and dying for us and rising again, right? isn't that an inspiring story? Right? We could say, yes, well, that story speaks to sacrifice and speaks to hope, but if it didn't really happen, we're still dead in our sins. If it didn't really happen, right, there is no salvation for us. It's a nice idea. I, I think we can say, in a sense, you know, cleverly devised myths, stories can point us to the truth. Right? But the scriptures, the word of God brings us into the truth. Right? The scriptures bring us into an encounter, into an experience of the truth. And for Peter, this is very important. Right? He wants them to understand, I share this with you as an eyewitness who saw this firsthand. Right? In the midst of whatever suffering, whatever challenges you face, you need to know right? we brought to you the truth. And then in verse 19, he says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Why more fully confirmed would he say that? He is affirming, right? Look, it's not that, you know, we wondered about the prophetic word. He's not saying, hey, before Jesus came, we, you know, looked at the scriptures, right? Again, what we would call the Old Testament, what they would just call the scriptures. He's not like saying, like, you know, we kind of doubted them. We didn't know. Do we trust God's word or not? But then Jesus came, and now it was confirmed we should trust God's word. He's saying, look, we already trusted God's word. Why? we'd already experienced this truth, right? Those are eyewitness accounts of what the people of God experienced and the saving power that they experienced in God, right? We know because we've experienced as we follow God's word and live according to God's word, there's freedom and abundance and joy. When we turn away from God's word, there's suffering, right? There's a lack of blessing, right? We've experienced, right? The Holy Spirit in us has confirmed that the Holy Spirit speaks through his word, so all those things have been confirmed. Already things that have been prophesied in the scriptures have been experienced by us, right? God warned the people, if you turn away from me, you'll be brought into exile. And that happened, right? And I will bring you back from exile. And that happened. So Peter is saying, look, already we trust God's word. Already it had been confirmed. The truth of God's word had been confirmed. And now in Christ, it has been more fully confirmed, right? The prophecies about Jesus, right, have been fulfilled in Christ. Right? We have Christ coming and affirming the truth of the scriptures, pointing to the scriptures and saying, this is God's word. And in it, you, right, you see the fulfillment in me. And so God's word leads us into the truth. Right? Peter wants them to see that. Right? What I'm teaching you is true. What God's word has taught you is true. Right? The, the, the truth, the revelation of scripture. Sometimes when we think about, um, or sometimes at least when some people think about the formation of the, the New Testament, right, we can call the, the canon, as it became clear, right, to the church that this is the word of God. These are the scriptures, right? Sometimes I think people kind of have this idea in their head, like, you know, there was this little committee of, you know, uh, Christian leaders who decided at some point, well, we need to decide, you know, what's the New Testament, and we like this book, we don't like this book so much, so here's the New Testament, right? We've decided, right? But if you know the history, right, you know that actually over a long period of time, over a huge geographical area, right, the people of God were recognizing the scriptures. They weren't deciding, oh, we've decided this is the word of God and this isn't. They were seeing this is the word of God. 
this is scripture, right? The Holy Spirit in us is confirming the inspired, Holy, you know, Spirit-inspired word of God. So that even in 2 Peter, at the end of 2 Peter, there's this great moment where he talks about Paul, and he says, Paul's sometimes hard to understand, which is always nice that the word of God is saying, hey, sometimes the word of God's hard to understand, right? We understand that, right? Sometimes you're like, what exactly is Paul talking about? You need to study it more and ask for the Lord's help in doing that. But he says, sometimes Paul is hard to understand, but people can twist his words as they do the other scriptures. So Peter actually, in the New Testament, is saying about Paul's letters and writings, they're the word of God. We already recognize that the Lord is speaking through the Apostle Paul, that he, as it says at the end of this passage, um, speaks from God as being carried along by the Holy Spirit. As we consider, right, the, the scriptures leading us into the truth, guiding us into the truth, right, I'm sure we're all aware there are many voices, right, out there, sometimes voices in here, right, telling us and speaking to us, this is true. This is what you should believe, right? This is the way of freedom, right? This is the way of abundant life. And again, some of those voices may seek to do us harm, right? Some of those are clearly voices of temptation. But other voices, right, are actually, you know, are saying, we seek to help, and perhaps are genuinely voices seeking to help us. Voices that are actually saying, I do believe this is what's best for you. And we can feel overwhelmed at times, right? What is true? What is best for me, right? There may be paths that actually look really good. And we may at times feel a little bit like we're just sort of stumbling around in the dark, right? I mean, how do I understand? How do I know which way to go? That's so significant, isn't it? Both in Psalm 119 and then in our Second Peter reading, I believe referencing Psalm 119, we have this vision, right? The scripture is a light unto your path. Right? When we hear these different voices and we say, what is truth? We can come to God's word and say, ah, here I am guided into the truth. Here, right, my eyes are open to the truth so that I can appreciate all the other, right, all the truth that is out there, right? All truth is God's truth, as is often said. But it's rooted and revealed in God's word. So God's word guides us into the truth. Secondly, we celebrate that God's word guides us into holiness, we see that in our John reading. Specifically, I want to look at the end of our, our reading of Jesus' words in the Gospel of John. Starting with verse 14, Jesus says uh, to his disciples, this is on the night that he was betrayed, the night before he um, died, he's speaking to his disciples. He's actually praying for them here and specifically praying for the disciples, but I believe it's a prayer that applies to us as well. And he says of the disciples, I've given them your word, speaking to the Father, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So he acknowledges, right, they are not of the world. But then he prays, verse 15, but I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I protect them. And he repeats again, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Make them holy in the truth, for your word is truth. Right? And so perhaps you've heard the phrase before, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And maybe you've heard that, right, inspired by Jesus' prayer here, and you've sort of heard, you know, be in the world like you're stuck here. You kind of have to be part of the world, but don't be of the world, so don't love the world, right? Make sure you kind of keep, you know, sinners at arm's length. Maybe sort of look with contempt upon, you know, worldly things. But it's very clear here that Jesus is saying they should be not of the world like I'm not of the world. Right? And we can ask the question, well, did Jesus hold sinners at arm's length? Right? Did he look with contempt upon sinners? Well, no, of course not. Right? Well, people are constantly surprised by, by Jesus, how much he loved sinners. 
right? And the ones that Jesus confronted were the ones who sort of held sinners at arm's length and looked at people with contempt, right? The religious leaders of that time. So to be not of the world is not to dislike the world or dislike the people of the world, right? But it is to be different from the world. To be in the world as one who's full of love and compassion, but also to look different, right? Jesus did look very differently because of his love, because of his compassion, right? But also because he did not give in to sin, right? Because he did not follow after idols, right? He honored the Lord. And this is our calling, right? To be not of the world as Jesus was not of the world, right? To, to seek a life of holiness. Again, marked by compassion, marked by mercy, but also marked by a turning away from sin and turning to the Lord. And he says in this, sanctify them in the truth. So this tells me, right, as we come to God's word, as we seek to grow in holiness, it's not learn God's word, right, so that you can make yourself holy. Now, again, we should learn God's word. It is good to study God's word. It is good to learn the precepts and learn the laws and seek to grow in them. But again, Jesus is praying, Father, sanctify them through your word. So this tells me as we come to God's word, right, we come to a word that's living and active, as it says in the book of Hebrews, that is working in us and growing us in holiness. So it's not just learn so that you can make yourself be more holy, right? Although we do engage our wills, right? We have practices that we can engage in disciplines that we can engage to grow in holiness, but we do so with the Lord. The Lord helps us through his word. It's powerful just to read God's word. It's powerful just to meditate on God's word because again, God's word is living and active. The author of this word is with us, right? The Holy Spirit carried along, right? The the authors, right? Carried along and worked through people, but he, it is his word. So we're again, formed in holiness. We we see this, right, in our our service, right? People often comment that are newer um, uh, to the liturgical service, like, wow, you guys read a lot of scripture, We do, right? We didn't make that up, right? That's what we've inherited in our tradition, right? But in that reading of Scripture, we're acknowledging just to hear God's Word, just to have it read in our midst is powerful. We're growing in holiness through hearing God's Word. Now, again, teaching on God's Word is important, even our liturgy, right? In our communion liturgy, you hear, right? If you you hear the, you know, liturgy week after week, you realize, oh, there's a lot of Scripture in that. God's Word is powerful and living. The final thing I would say quickly, right, is God's word then also guides us into a closer relationship with the Lord, right, into deeper intimacy with God. Right? That should be clear, right? If, if God's word is guiding us into truth, guiding us into holiness, then we grow in intimacy and closeness to the Lord. Just take note of Psalm 119. Probably many of you are familiar with Psalm 119, a very long psalm, the longest psalm. And again, long and again and again, you know, repetitive in its love for the law. The psalmist says in so many different ways how much he loves God's law. And perhaps at times you've sort of read and been like, man, is this for real? Like, can someone really love God's law? I mean, he even says, I love your rules, right? Who loves rules, right? Who loves uh, precepts? But what's so striking as you look at Psalm 119, as you look at this passage before us, is the word that's most repeated is your, right? It's about your laws, your rules, your precepts. I love them because they come from you. They speak to who you are. We love God's word, right? Because it is a gift from the Lord. Right? We can celebrate even his loss, right? I mean, again, the, the psalmist isn't, you know, I mean, the psalmist is acknowledging difficulties. He's acknowledging challenges that he faces, but he knows that the Lord is with him. He knows that the Lord will help him because he has God's word. He has the gift 
of God's law. And so, yes, we should study God's word, right? We should learn God's word. We should meditate on God's word. But we can, right, through the work of the Holy Spirit, grow in a love for God's word, a joy in God's word. There's a um, uh, Christian uh, teacher, uh, professor, theologian, uh, Bob Weber, who passed away a few years ago, but wrote a lot about um, liturgy and about sort of a theology of the church and ecclesiology. I heard him speak um, a number of years ago, and he told the story of when he was a um, child, um, and his father, who I can't remember his father was a pastor, but a very devout man, a very man, man committed to the Lord, his father invited him into his study. And uh, Bob Weber talks about going into his father's study, and his father was sitting at his desk, and before him was an old Bible. And uh, his father said uh, to Weber, he said, this Bible, I'm, I, I can't use it anymore. It's falling apart. And so it's time for me to get a new Bible. But I want us to honor this Bible. And so he wrapped it up, and uh, Bob Weber and his father went out um, to the backyard. His dad dug a hole and buried the Bible. Um, and then he had a ceremony, right? A ritual where he gave thanks to the Lord for this Bible and what a gift it had been to him. Now, you may be thinking, okay, yeah, we love God's word, but right, I mean, the paper, the ink, right, the binding, I mean, that's not what we're devoted to, right? We're devoted to God's word, to the, the teaching, the truth of God's word. But I just am stuck with that, right? Ritual matters, right? How we do physical things, it speaks to what we believe, right? That's part of being a sacramental church, right? And sacramental people, which we'll talk about more next week. I just thought, what a powerful ritual to show, right? This is how valuable God's word is, right? That I want to honor this Bible that has been such a friend to me for, for so long, right? The big Bible that we have up at our pulpit was given by one of our members uh, many years ago who said, right, I want people to see God's word, right? When the God's word is read, I want them to see how central it is, and so let's, you know, take those, those visuals, the holding up of the gospel book, the ways that we handle God's word as a reminder, right, of how precious, as an encouragement, a prayer for us to continue to ask the Lord to grow us in devotion to his scriptures. I want to end with a, uh, a prayer. Um, it's actually uh, said on the second Sunday of Advent, but such a beautiful prayer that speaks to our love and devotion to God's word. Let us pray. Blessed Lord who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.